I invite you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua 13. I think the text is also in your worship guide. This will be a somewhat familiar passage to, uh, to at least a handful of you. Um, we looked at this text shortly after we started the church. Um, but we've noticed, uh, the, the elders and staff, we noticed that some of these themes have continued to percolate over the years. And so we, we thought it would be a good idea to revisit this. Um, I'll be reading Joshua 13, beginning in verse 32. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Pray with me. Our Father, we need to hear from you this moment at this time. Jesus, your words, they bring life. They draw us to you. And so we ask that you would speak. God, I pray in this moment, nobody would be drawn to anybody else other than you, Jesus. Lord, may my words fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, a number of years ago, during some holiday, it was either Christmas or Thanksgiving, uh, my mom gathered all of her children together. I'm the youngest of three kids. And during this holiday, decided it would be a good time to go over her will with us. It's, it's how my mom rolls. And, uh, and, and so this really cheerful time just kind of became, well, it just wasn't very much fun. And we're going through this will, and my mom is anything but unfair. She just always tries to be the most fair person. And so she goes, this is what we're going to do. Um, of the furniture, David, you get first dibs of the furniture. Cheryl, you get second dibs, and then you, Joel. And... Uh, and David's like, you know, score. I mean, because my mom actually has some really good antiques there. And, uh, and then my mom says, and next we're going to divide the jewelry. And Cheryl, you're going to get first pick of the jewelry, and, uh, which is also a pretty big score. Because my mom has, you know, some heirloom jewelry that's been handed down over the years. And then she gets to me and she says, Joel, you will get the first pick of everything electronic. <laughs> and, uh, and when she said that, my brother and my sister just erupted in laughter because... My mom has nothing that is newer than like 22 years old. And essentially what she was willing to me was uh, a Sony Walkman cassette player, or she did have that VHS DVD combo drive that, that could be mine. And, uh, and my brother leaned over to me and he goes, man, you just got gypped. You just got gypped. I want us to look at inheritance tonight. The kind of inheritance that we are going to receive. As Christians, what is our inheritance and are we going to get gypped when it comes to it? Uh, what we just read in Joshua 13 is when Joshua is distributing all of the lands, 
And so I want you to imagine this scene. All the tribal leaders are gathered before Joshua. And for over 40 years, they have been battling to take over this land, the land that was promised to them 400 years earlier to Abraham. And now it's finally theirs. And Joshua, you know, he undoes the scroll and he's reading through all of the land allotments. And he's like, Reuben, okay, you get all the land from the Arnon Gorge, you know, over to the River Jordan. Gad, you get, uh, you get the town of Gilead and half of the Ammonite country and um, the east of the Jordan, all the way down uh, to this other city. And um, he goes on and on and on to all of these tribes and what they're going to get. And finally, he comes to the Levites. And so the tribe of Levi, the Lord, the God of Israel, is your inheritance. And, and, and then you kind of wait for more, but nothing more comes. Uh, we, we find out later in chapter 14 what's meant by this. They're, they're merely given some scattered cities among all the other tribes, neighborhoods, if you will. So they're, giving, they're given a home that they can live but they're not giving any land, so they can't ever grow crops. They can't ever raise cattle. And what God is doing is he's saying, from now on, you will always be dependent upon everybody else. You can never make your own money. You can never earn your own living. I'm the one who's going to be your inheritance. No land. Now, there's a part of me, when, when I read this, Kind of like my brother, I kind of want to whisper into the ear of the Levites, guys, you got gypped. You got gypped. I mean, come on, the Lord is your inheritance? What does that, what does that mean? You mean the reward for all of your hard labor, all of your work over these last 40 years is that you just get to keep making sacrifices to the Lord. But there's, there's no land, there's no wealth. You got gypped. And I just want to confess, there's a, there's a part of me that really wants to say that. And I think the reason I, I almost want to say that is because the other tribes got the Lord too. It wasn't like they didn't get the Lord. I mean, they, they didn't get to make their sacrifices, you know, or like, like the priests did, but they still got to go to the temple, still got to sing to the Lord, still got to present their offerings. God was still their God. So they had all of that, and they got land. <laughs> they got wealth. So 11 tribes got land and the Lord. One tribe just got the Lord. And so let me ask you a question. Who got more? Who inherited more? How you answer that is going to affect everything. It's going to affect the, the, the career you have, the, the things you pursue, the things that you buy, the relationships that you build. How you answer that question will, will have implications for all of those areas in your life. And at first, when you're reading this, you're like, no brainer. All right, so I get to, you're saying, I get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe plus a lot of wealth, or I get to just have the relationship with the creator of the universe. 
And you're tempted to just say, well, I'll take, I'll take the relationship with wealth. Not so fast. Flip over to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 12. It's a text we actually heard from recently. But I want us to read this text in light of what we have just read. Luke chapter 12. I'll begin reading in verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing such as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All right, in this text, Jesus, he, he lists all of these things that we spend our energies on. And he says, hey, don't waste your time. It's not worth it. Um, these things really don't matter. Life is more than eating, and your body was made for better things than just clothes. So God knows you're going to need, need these things. He's going to take care of you. Just concentrate on him. That's what Jesus says. And then he's telling all of these wonderful things about how he's going to take care of us. Then suddenly out of the blue, he says in verse 32, fear not. Don't fear. This seems a little out of place to me when I'm reading through this. Um, The disciples had to be thinking at, at this point, afraid. Afraid, Jesus, we're not afraid. I mean... Yeah, yeah, we're anxious at times, you know, we're, maybe we're a little worried at times, but you know what, if, if the following you thing doesn't work out, um, Peter can go back to fishing, make a pretty good living, James and John could go with him, Matthew could go back to tax collecting, I mean, we're, we're going to be alright, we're not scared, we're not, we're maybe a little worried, why, is there, is there something you're not telling us, Jesus, is there something that we're supposed to be scared about? Um, this comment seems a little out of place. Uh, let me ask you, if you're, if you're on an airplane, you're over the ocean, the pilot gets on the intercom, and his first words are, I just want you to all know there is nothing for you to be scared of. Oh, wh- what, what emotion does that produce in you? Like, whew, thank you. I, I, it lets me know I'm about to die an imminent, horrible death. Okay, that, that is what I hear if, if the pilot says that. Um, our kids have learned that whenever I tell them, hey, there's nothing to be scared of, 
that there's a lot to be scared of. Um, I told them there's nothing to be scared of when the tree went through our house and just almost took them out. Um, Lauren's birthday is on April 27th, which, uh, you know, that's the day that the tornadoes all came through Alabama. We're gathered in the Kling's basement. They're cellars, like the small room within their basement. The Johnsons are in there. The Kling's are in there. We're in there. It's like all of us. And, uh, and we get out the birthday cake, and, you know, we're by candlelight in the darkness there. We're singing happy birthday to Lauren, all the while telling our kids, it's okay, it's okay. There's nothing to be scared of. Tornado sirens are going off. They can hear the wind. We're all in here. It's like, like really, there's nothing to be scared of? I wonder if this comment began producing some fear. Verse 32. Jesus calls them his little flock. Fear not, little flock. Then he says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You just got to kind of pause. I mean, you read through, I know you read through your New Testament about 10 times a year. You know, you just just, kind of skip over that. But do, do you see the staggering promise that Jesus has just made? The father is pleased to give you the kingdom. These people are going to inherit the earth. I mean, that means there is not a a king or a prince or a queen or an emperor that has anything on them. They are going to one day own it all. And Jesus is saying, my father is pleased. It delights him to give you the world as your inheritance, his kingdom. That's pretty big. And if the passage stopped there, I'd be really confused about the don't fear comment. But then you get verse 33. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. At this moment, Jesus is looking at him. He's saying, all right, You say you want all of me. If you want all of me, then I'm going to have to be everything to you. Sell your possessions. He's basically crying out what the psalmist cried out, Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there is nothing I desire but you. Um, and so in order for God to be everything in our life, he's, he's got to become everything in our life. And that's what's happening here. He's, he's got to be that pearl of great price in which you sell everything in order to get it. He's the, the treasure that's buried in the field in which, um, out of joy, you're going to sell everything you have to purchase that land that you might own the treasure. Jesus has to be that to us. I'm not... I'm not asking you right now, it's like, hey, are you a Christian because you really need to be a Christian? I'm asking, is, is Jesus worth this to you? I'm not asking if you tithe, if you go to church. I'm asking, is, is Jesus your true desire? I, I would have loved to have been there to see the expression of the disciples after verse 33. I mean, he's going through all this, and they are shouting amens into where it like hits the pinnacle. Verse 32, they're like, preach it, Jesus. That's right. Bring it. 
And then he's like, oh yeah, sell everything, sell your possessions. And it's just like awkward, you know, just, just that really awkward crickets chirping silence there. Wow. I don't know about you, but um, my family's kind of addicted to the Olympics. Are any of y'all like that? Completely have just shattered our kids' bedtime. I mean, they're, they're like 11 o'clock every night. It's just they're, they're supposed to go to bed at like 745. But I love, you know, um, I love the interviews with the athletes um, as they talk about their family life and the sacrifices and all this. And you find this more with professional athletes. Um, a lot of times a professional athlete is interviewed, and if they're a Christian, sometimes they might say something like this. Well, you know, God is first in my life, and then there's my family, and then there's football. But those are my priorities, and we, we tend to be like, that's, that's really good. What a great Christian. Let's, let's put him before thousands and let him preach. Um, but Jesus would disagree with that so much. Because right there, you put Jesus on a list, the same list as others. And Jesus doesn't say, like, no, I am the list. There is no Jesus and then family, Jesus and then football. It's like, it's Jesus. The reason you love your family is because you love me. The reason you pursue your career is because you love me and you want to see me glorified in your career. For from me and through me and to me are all things. Whether you eat and drink, whatever you do, you do all to my glory. And Jesus says, I am the list. I'm not just the top, I'm it all. That's what Jesus is teaching these disciples here. He says, don't be afraid. Do you see the similarities? I hope you see the similarities between Joshua 13 and Luke 12. Don't be afraid. When I look back at my Christian life, my biggest hindrance, I think, in my faith has not been any sin that I'm aware of. Not because I don't sin. There's plenty. But it's not been things like, you know, lack of Bible study or lack of prayer or something like that. that I don't think that's really been the biggest hindrance in my Christian life. The biggest hindrance, I think, has been fear. Fear. Um, maybe some of you know what I mean. It's the fear of letting God have all of me. I have friends... Just, just a handful of friends who I think have really lived this stuff out. And let me tell you what, they scare me. I don't like being around them. Uh, uh, one of my friends, they saw somebody in need, so he sold his car and he gave them the money. I'm like, who does that? And he's like, Jesus. I'm like, oh, great. You know? <laughs> uh, we, we, I've had friends who've sold everything they had and, you know, moved to India and, uh, to, to serve orphans there. And... Um, just people who've just really lived this, and I feel uncomfortable kind of when I'm in their presence. Be honest. Would it terrify you to pray this? Lord, whatever you need to do, do in my life until you're my only desire. Whatever you need to remove, Remove until you're my only desire. 
Does, does that just kind of, you know, make your stomach kind of turn in little knots to pray that? It, it does with me. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid. When I was a junior at the University of Georgia, um, I remember walking by the student center. And, and this was a defining moment in my life. Often when I meet with people for lunch or breakfast, I ask them, what's, what's a defining moment in your life, for good or for bad? This is one of the defining moments in my life. I'm walking by the student center, and they have, for some reason, they've built a free speech platform. Like, like that's a good idea at the University of Georgia, to have a free speech platform. And there's a psychotic preacher up there just spewing venom. Happens all the time. That wasn't enough to really raise my attention or to let me stop. That's a common occurrence at the University of Georgia. And so I'm just walking by, not paying much much attention to it. And then I really feel like the Spirit whispered in my ear, hey, you need to to get up there and preach. I was like, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, And so I just kept walking. And then the, the same thing. It's like, no, Joel, you need to get up there and preach. Terror might be too nice of a word to describe what I felt in that moment. Absolute, total, just terror. Which is actually one of the reasons I knew it was from the Lord. (laughs) Because I was scared to death. Because if it was just something in my mind, I would have laughed and I would have just kept on going. But I couldn't. I couldn't. It was being pushed on me. And so, kind of like my... My little kids, you know, when, when, when they were, well, they still do it now, like to argue with me, I started doing that with the Lord. Raising up what I thought were my well-thought, planned-out objections, like, well, it's not really my thing or my gifts. Oh, yeah, you're the one who gives gifts. All right, check, check that one off. All right, uh, it's not my personality. No one's going to listen to me. It's really bad timing. I'm, I need to go study. Um, you know, I'm coming up with all these objections, and I realize it's just ridiculous. And, and finally, as I'm going through all these, here was my last objection. I just said, Father, please don't make me do this. No objection. There, there was no reasoning. It was just, please don't make me do this. They're just going to laugh at me. And I I thought about that a lot over the years and why that fear was so crippling. And and later I I got up and why it was so liberating. But why it was so crippling for me. And, And let me tell you, it wasn't a fear of rejection that I was struggling with. Because there's no such thing as a fear of rejection. My fear is that when I was rejected... And it was just me and Jesus that he would not be enough to sustain me. That was my fear. My fear was that Jesus really would not be enough for me when it was just me and him. Because you see, all along I wanted Christ plus something. I wanted him plus my dignity, plus some respect. I wanted him plus some money. I wanted him plus a nice girlfriend. I wanted them plus a good job and a nice house someday. I wanted them plus all of these things. And my fear was when it was just Jesus and me and nothing else, he wouldn't sustain me. That's my fear. 
And I didn't know it at the time, but there was a deep, unresolved question that was lingering in my heart that was, Jesus, are you enough? Or am I just going to get gypped? And I bet that's a fear that holds many of you back in your faith. The fear that keeps you from knowing and from experiencing the full joy that Jesus has to offer in him. The fear of sharing your faith with your neighbor or a colleague and them rejecting you is not a real fear. The fear is that if they reject you and it's only the smile of God on your life, that his smile will not be enough for you. The fear of getting old or getting sick and your body breaking apart is not a real fear. The fear is when that happens, Jesus will not be enough to sustain you, not be enough to nourish you. The fear of, you know, for some of you singles, of not finding a spouse, which is a deep fear, it really isn't a fear at all. The fear is that the embrace of God, if that's all you're left with is his embrace, it will not be enough to satisfy you. His embrace alone won't give you joy. The fear of your career not working out, fear of you financially tanking is not a real fear. The fear is if that happens, you're going to find that an identity built on Christ really wasn't rock solid. And you'll crumble. The fear you have of confessing your sins to others and them maybe thinking like, what in the world? You did that stuff and feeling rejected. That's not a real fear. The fear is that the smile and the acceptance of God in your life is not enough. That's the fear under all of those fears. This is Jesus. Will you be enough when it's just you? Or am I going to get gypped? The bottom fear of everything is the question, God, are you enough for me? Are you really all I could hope for, all I could ever need? Are you really a everlasting life? Does joy really flow from your presence? So let me ask you, is the Lord alone worth more to you than the Lord plus something? Well, Jesus would say yes, yes. And he says it all throughout Scripture. Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life. And what he means by that is, hey, come to me for your sustenance. Okay? I will sustain you. Jesus would say, I, I am the good shepherd. And what he's saying is, hey, come to me for your care. Come to me for your protection. I provide those things. When Jesus said, come to me all who are, th- who are thirsty, and I'll give you drink, he's like, come to me, I, I will satisfy your every desire if you will just come to me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And what he means is like, if you come to me, even death cannot separate my love for you. Just come to me. So yes, Jesus is worth it. And let me tell you a final thing about inheritance. You do nothing to receive it. An inheritance means somebody else did all the work, 
Somebody else accumulated all of the wealth and it is simply going to be given to you. You do nothing. And please, don't walk away from here, you know, and think, all right, I just need to just need to do a better job. I just really need to dig in and work really hard and then the Lord's going to bless me. That's not at all what I'm saying. You don't work for this. It's through the work of Jesus. And also in an inheritance, it comes through death. Our inheritance of Jesus came through His death. Our blessings came from His work. And we need to rest in that. Rest in our glorious inheritance as the saints. Let me close by just reading you one short verse from Isaiah 49. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Pray with me. God, I ask that you would through your spirit, by the work of your son, that you would strengthen our faith to simply believe the glorious things you have promised, promised us through your word. Jesus, right now, we want to declare your worth. Your worth far above everything. And we do want to pray that scary prayer. God, that you do whatever you need to do with us until you are our only desire and you are the only thing that satisfies. Lord, and I know that that prayer, some of us pray that in strong faith, some in weak faith. Some of us are crying, I believe, help my unbelief. But Lord, hear our prayer. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.